So here we are in the Eighth Commandment. Um, one difficulty that has been kind of brought up multiple times in the study of God's law is that it's easy to think that we're keeping God's law, uh, especially on the commandments that seem simple. And this is one of those. Um, but I think the way I would like to uh, approach this commandment is uh, much like previous weeks, that we have to first know that we haven't kept the commandment, and we have to also know that Christ has kept the commandment. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to say in that uh, first line, kind of the headline for the lesson. It's at the top of your outline. Observance of the Eighth Commandment demonstrates God's covenantal provision for his covenant people. So, it's printed there, but if you have your Bible, turn on over to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this is the shortest commandment, too, so maybe, I, mean, I, guess, I guess you shall not murder is equally short. But don't let that deceive you to think it's easier, easier to do, easy to say, hard to do. So Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. Simple enough. Um, I think this with maybe the ninth commandment are probably the first ones that we learn as children. Don't lie. Well, maybe we also learn honor your father and mother. But those are kind of the top ones. You know, as a child, some of the commandments, you're going, no other gods before me? What's that mean? Um, but I think with kids, we tend to focus on behaviors. So even honoring your father and mother is not quite a, you know, there are hundreds of behaviors that fit into that. So I think when we're teaching kind of the simple felt board version of the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor probably get a lot of play. Um, this section from the ESV Study Bible, it sort of lumps the Sixth and the Eighth Commandments together, the Sixth through the Eighth, because they are setting behavior standards for God's people. Um, but really, these are minimum standards, not, these aren't maximum standards, so to simply stop at not stealing isn't really what the commandment is talking about. Um, that's just kind of the minimum. Um, these standards, I'll just read a little bit from the quote there from the ESV Study Bible. Uh, these were the minimum standards for Israel to be a just society, and they indicate the context in which the people will be called further to be holy and to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and might. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy. And their neighbors with goodwill and generosity from Leviticus. So while the prohibition against stealing is a basic principle of justice in Israel's national life, the people are called to do more than refrain from taking another person's possessions. 
They are to embody the Lord's love for them by loving stranger and sojourner as themselves, which we have another quote from Leviticus that we'll go to. And then that leads us into some New Testament passages where during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told them, you've heard that it was said, and he would quote the commandment, but then he would say something like, but I say to you. So there's this contrast of, you know, no secret to us, Jesus is the living word, the word become flesh. So when he's quoting, you've heard that it was said, but now I say, he's putting himself in a position to to give us a full understanding of the commandments, speaking with the same authority that God spoke with when the commandments were delivered. So, uh, Jesus' intent was to uh, not correct the intended purpose of the law. He wasn't correcting the law, but he was correcting the mistaken presumptions that the laws or their interpretation had. The laws, he was correcting the idea that they were meant to be exhaustive of what it meant to be children in God's kingdom. Uh, so just like when he said, you, you think you haven't murdered, but you, if you've hated someone in your heart, you're a murderer. That same concept applies to all these commandments. So we should be careful about this uh, easy-to-assume notion that we've somehow kept the commandment. Uh, and also we should be careful about um, being quick to point out when others haven't kept the commandment because that might include the assumption that we're somehow doing it right and others are doing it wrong. Um, so I'd like to continue with, uh, if we go to Leviticus chapter 19. Get a little bit more context So I'm going, to, I'm going to use read certain passages from here, um, but it's it's really the it's the whole chapter. Um, so I, I don't necessarily have to read the whole thing all at once. But think of this chapter as a call to holiness. So starting in verse one of chapter nineteen, we'll read for a little while, and then hopefully some questions and discussion come up. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. Put a little pin in that. Keep my Sabbaths. We're going to come back to that at the end of the lesson. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So, any kind of, any commentary on the similarity of this first part of Leviticus 19 with Exodus chapter 20 where we get the commandments? It's not quite a verbatim quote. The call to holiness is, and the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Mm -hmm. speaks directly to stealing whereas if we're stealing something that we covet from somebody else we're placing there's there's an inordinate want or desire for that thing yeah. that is placed above your desire for loving your loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself so yeah. you're 
that's a good point. We tend to think of we tend to think of the commandments as like a list, and they are. But really, um, it can also be seen like this, where there's like God and His character, and then like to get to God, this is this is His standard of holiness, and then we're kind of like out here. You know, we can't just go straight in because we're not holy. And this is why he says, so the Ten Commandments are kind of like on this, they're like kind of around this ring right here. God's in the middle, his holiness and his character are in their room. Uh oh, that's more than ten. Uh, but, and our behaviors, you know, we tend to, it's so easy to focus on behaviors. Don't steal. Uh, and that's maybe a good place to start. But our behaviors are kind of antithetical to, to what's here to get to God. Uh, so I think that's why we have this call to holiness. Um, and you're right, the, the, the commandments, instead of it being like a list, they're really like a, like a web or like a, like a bubble around God almost. That it's, you know, well, I kept nine. That's why we can't say things like, well, I kept nine out of ten. Uh, so I'm, I'm nine-tenths good. That should be enough, right? Uh, just like the rich young ruler who went away sad because he, Jesus told him, if you love me, wait. So, no, he said, he said, sell everything you have. And the man realized, Jesus was calling him out for not really keeping all the commandments. Um, he didn't point out to him, you stole. He pointed out to him, you are lacking God's, you fall short of God's holiness. He didn't even tell him which commandment he violated. He just said, uh, sell everything you have, or, and the man went away sad because he couldn't do it. And that might, that might touch on a lot of the commandments, covetousness, knowing God's before me, maybe stealing, maybe false witness, lying about his own righteousness. Did you have a comment? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I was just going to say your, um, your question about the similarities between Exodus 19, or Leviticus 19 and the, the preface to the Ten Commandments. Um, the holiness of God's people is grounded on God's holiness. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not something else. Like our, we don't have our own holiness. It's, it should be, uh, has to be God's holiness. And then there's also several times in those four verses, God says, I am the Lord your God. And so it's that personal covenant uh, lordship of the trying God. It's not, he's not a God. Right. He's our God. Yes. Uh, so for the radio listeners, God's holiness is not separate from our holiness. He is calling us to be like himself uh, because that is, the, that is the rightly ordered way of God's creation. Um, indeed, I didn't, hopefully the picture doesn't imply that we're like bringing some holiness to God. Um, yeah? I think what that ties into is our perseverance of saints. You know, you know, Christ... His righteousness was imputed to us when our sins were imputed to him on the cross. And so that point, when that happened, when we became believers, from that point forward, then, you know, these commandments are calling us to be holy, as you already said. Because God has told us first to be holy because he's holy. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, we strive through our perseverance to ultimate, you know, God-likeness, which really doesn't happen until we're standing in full consummation before God. Yeah. Yeah, there's a in, implied with the call to holiness is uh, not he's not telling us to get holy and then come yeah. then answer his call. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so to explore how this touches on uh, the Eighth Commandment a little more specifically, we're in that second paragraph, well, I don't know how you count them, but about halfway down on the front page of the outline, Leviticus chapter 19. Just as a false witness disregards the holiness of God's name, stealing and dealing falsely also undermine the care that God has promised to show his people. So let's look at uh, Leviticus 19, verses 11 and 12. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Um, so maybe a little bit of a contrast with Exodus chapter 20, where each commandment is listed out kind of as a standalone, you know, more like this, these two lists. Now, in Leviticus 19, the commandments are starting to kind of become more like a, like a unified standard. Uh, it's not about, well, you better work on your theft, you know, work on your theft a little bit, and then you can be a believer, and then, then you need to work on your truthfulness, and then you can, and these aren't ten separate categories where we need to kind of level up. Uh, it's all interconnected because it all is part of God's character. Um, so back to the outline. Property rights are generally summarized under loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Simply avoiding the basic act of stealing falls short of the spirit of the law. So we'll keep moving for uh, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Uh, well, let's start with 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there's that reason again. Here's why you have to do these things, because I'm the Lord. Because I'm in charge, and I created you, and I've made you part of my covenant. And these are my covenantal ways. So once again, in 17 and 18 of Leviticus 19, we see that it wasn't too dissimilar from what Jesus was talking about um, when he talked about hating someone in your heart. Um, so once again, he wasn't reinterpreting the Old Testament. He was correcting a misunderstanding that had been there all along. Um, the commandments start to kind of blend together to give us this idea of instead of following ten rules, really we're trying to be holy like God, or we're called to be holy like God is holy. Um, and they're not really ten separate rules, they're, they're ten unified rules that express God's character to us, which has come up in a lot of these lessons. I had, uh, unfortunately, skipped over verses 11 and 12, so before we're done here, I'd like to go back to, not 11 and 12, uh, verse 9. So going back up to Leviticus 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. Um, so if you don't work in agriculture, you don't have to heed this part of the Bible, right? Absolutely, yeah. I'm glad, you, I'm glad some of you laughed. Um, we know that this applies to all of us. Um, we know that you know, maybe the um, modern idea of uh, reaping right up to the edge is um, 
you know, wrongly prioritizing our work. Uh, who gave us our work, and why do we do our work? Yeah, the short-term, the short-term thing we need is provision in our lives, but who does the provision come from? And it all goes back to the reason that we shouldn't steal, uh, the reason we should not wrongly prioritize our work, the reason we should not, uh, you know, have disputes with our neighbors over the edge of the field, uh, the reason we shouldn't have hate in our hearts. It's all connected back to God's character. Um, so it's, I guess the main point of this Exodus chapter 19 is that it's tough to, it's tough to read this and think you've kept, for me, when I read this chapter, it's harder to let myself believe that I've somehow kept some of the commandments, because it shows how they're all connected. Um, in the second half of 19, uh, so back to the outline for a moment, simply avoiding the basic act of stealing falls short of the spirit of the law. Unjust measures and dealing falsely are prohibited. So even kind of a workaround, oh, I didn't steal. He just agreed to a terrible contract. Um, I didn't steal. I just, you know, the collections agent couldn't find me. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm judging anyone going through financial hardship. Indeed, life is hard sometimes. Uh, but we should be trusting in God's provision of providence in our lives to the point that we don't need to kind of uh, find the gray area or find a workaround for what we know is right. Um, so let's look at the Leviticus 19, uh, starting at verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Then verse 35, you shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall give just, you shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. So that part, I think, really kind of um, think back to the lesson on uh, swearing falsely or false witness. I think part of that lesson was the different levels of oaths that people would take in Jesus' time. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I swear on the heights of Jerusalem or uh, I, I swear by uh, some geographical feature or, you know, a prominent building or something. And these were things done to avoid having to take an oath before God. Um, and that's part of why we're told, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because there had been some, Jesus was correcting these uh, sort of workarounds that some people had uh, come up with. And remember in Matthew 5, that's also where he said, uh, don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have kind of allowed and been okay with this system of unrighteousness to, they've, they've allowed what's not righteous to be called righteous. Um, so, just to finish that point on Leviticus 19, God's love for his people includes his provision for them, and his people should respond by loving God and loving each other in a way that places God's holiness above all earthly gains. Um, I know that's a, that's a strong statement, because in our day-to-day -day lives, you know, we, need, 
We need things like money and fuel, food. Um, but we can't forget that really God is the one who's providing all this for his people. Any thoughts on Leviticus 19, those, that second half, before we move on to Matthew 5? Yeah. Um, each you know, section or little paragraph of, of Leviticus 19 ends with that statement, I am the Lord. And it just, I kept thinking over and over, it reminded me of Job, mm-hmm. um, the end of Job, when you know the Lord is speaking to Job and says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Mm-hmm. And it's just that, it's such a powerful statement of God's majesty and holiness that if for no other reason we should obey simply because he is the Lord. Right. Now, he's an awesome and gracious God and has given us so many more reasons to mm-hmm. obey him out of thankfulness and love. But just that alone, the fact that he's the creator, that he is God, like just each statement is, I'm the Lord. Why would you not obey? I'm your creator. I'm, yeah. I'm, you are breathing air because I'm sustaining you this very second. Amen. Why why would you not obey? <laughs> very true. This is a very powerful statement of his majesty and holiness. Yes. It's very humbling. It is. It is humbling. All those passages end with the phrase, I am the Lord, and we cannot escape that. You know, this isn't just this isn't just like, you know, a stop sign on a lonely intersection mm-hmm. where, oh, I don't see anyone. I'll, I'll cheat my way through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very crowded intersection. These these Rules are for God's entire community of covenant people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about how not just avoiding stealing, but the idea of generosity and then the way we manage our labor in the field or you know, at our modern jobs, um, someone, God is sustaining someone else off of mm-hmm. us following his commandment not to you know, glean all the way to the edges. Someone else could be getting that those hours, if we're not being greedy for overtime, someone else could be getting those hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we're honest with our dealings with our employer, um, you know, maybe there will be money in the budget for another hire. Um, so really, really, it's not, it's a, a big part of understanding uh, that it's not just a set of rules, it's realizing that it's not even about us. And that statement, I am the Lord, and I am the Lord your God, repeated over and over, I think does exactly what you just said. Um, we can take a look at Matthew 5, uh, Sermon on the Mount, and I'd like to start with uh, 3 through 12. We won't read them all, but you may know these as the Beatitudes. So starting in verse 1, <clears throat> seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So to key in on a, on a few of those, the idea of being poor in spirit, this isn't exactly the same as someone who's poor in finances. And this stood out to me because uh, we might sometimes tell someone who is destitute that, hey, you gotta do what you gotta do to survive. We, we might, it's tempting to say, hey, you, you know, don't, don't worry about following that commandment about not stealing. Um, it was only it was only a little bit. Uh, I think uh, the main character in Lemons, Rob, you know, he was uh, he was taken to jail uh, with the he was taken to jail for stealing bread for his starving family. Um, now the the point of the story there is that the punishment way outweighed the crime. Uh, he went to jail for years because. Of um, so once again, Jesus isn't isn't changing the Old Testament law or reinterpreting it. He's not saying it's okay to steal. But when he talks about the ones who are poor in spirit, those are the ones who recognize that they are in need of God's help. Um, the ones who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. Um, so that, to me, the idea of being spiritually bankrupt is not too different from being financially bankrupt. So just like we can't tell the person who's financially poor that it's okay to steal, we can't tell the one who's spiritually poor that they can steal righteousness for themselves. They can't. They have to rely on Christ's righteousness. And the same for the one who is financially poor and might be tempted to steal. Um, they also have to rely on God's provision. Those who mourn losses. Um, we don't know exactly what kind of losses. I, I tend to think of losing a family member, but this could be a, a business that's falling apart. Um, this could be, you know, a, a family home that's been destroyed by, by uh, bad weather. Those who mourn losses. Uh, they might be told by the world that it's okay to take what's theirs or that they're entitled to some of the other's wealth. But the answer for them in God's kingdom is to continue relying on God. And they will be blessed for that. That's why we're told that blessed, blessed are the ones who mourn losses. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The pure in heart, skipping down a couple of Beatitudes, the ones who are pure in heart place emphasis on God's ways over and against the world's ways. God's people are ultimately satisfied by his righteousness conveyed through faith and, and Christ, faith in Christ and Christ's faithfulness to us. Um, so really, just like Leviticus 19, we see a reorienting of our priorities. Not, not keeping a set of uh, rules so that we can level up our righteousness. Um, and I think Jesus here is acknowledging that this has been happening for a long time. Even the prophets were reviled. Um, so he's telling them, you're in, you're in good company. Um, so looking a little bit farther forward in Matthew 5, uh, going to verse 38 through 42, Retaliation. You have heard that it was said. Here, here is doing what I was talking about earlier. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go for one mile, oh, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So we're not to retaliate against the one who steals from us. Not only can we not steal, but we can't steal back what's been stolen. That, I don't, that doesn't feel good to hear that. I mean, that doesn't mean we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have some kind of justice system that sets those things right. But ultimately, justice belongs to the Lord, not to the individual. Um, and we're told to give generously, even to those who cannot repay. So I don't think this is telling us to uh, put ourselves in financial strain, giving generously. Indeed, if we're wrong, sometimes we have to take it to court. Uh, but the, the point is to get us away from the letter of the law that we're somehow going to keep it, we're somehow doing it on our own to impress God, and seeing that God actually wants to reorient our whole understanding of how the world works. There's some parts in Matthew 6 that I'd like to hit briefly. Matthew 6, maybe for later reference. It talks, it gives a little bit more detail how to give, but how to give discreetly. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. It talks about God's provision uh, through partially through the Lord's Prayer. It talks about fasting. Uh, it talks about uh, laying up treasures in heaven. It doesn't mean you are automatically sinful for being wealthy on the earth, but no matter how much you have or don't have, our, our greatest value should be in heaven. And then we're told not to be anxious. And when I think of the reasons we might be tempted to violate the Eighth Commandment, stealing, sometimes there is an anxiety there of wanting more, needing more, feeling like we just don't have enough. Um, but just to wrap this point up, in Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his, life, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Uh, and skipping down to verse 31 therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat what shall we drink what shall we wear uh, and then it closes out this by saying uh, in verse 33 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble um, I don't necessarily want to make a whole lesson about Matthew 6 but I think that this description of anxiousness really gets at a lot of the reasons that we would violate the commandments. Um, anyone who's been late to work has been tempted to lie, right? To make it seem more, more legitimate. It was an emergency. Maybe it was. So before we uh, move into the catechism, uh, any thoughts there on Matthew 5 and a little bit of Matthew 6? I think that's a good point, Will. Why are we tempted to steal? Because we're dissatisfied with what God has given us. Yeah. And Paul is great at addressing this. I know in 1 Timothy 6, 
6 through 8, he says, God makes us content with great things, for we brought nothing to the world, take nothing out of the world. Mm -hmm. If we have food and clothes, we would be content. Yeah. I'm like, yes, I can look at my life and I'm like, there are some things I wish I could change or wish I had, but if I steer them, I'm saying, God, your provision for me is not good enough, so I'm going to add something to it unjustly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great summary that uh, stealing is... Stealing indicates a lack of trust in God's provision, uh, a lack of patience, some level of anxiety about those things. Um, dissatisfaction with what we have been given. Excellent. Well, um, in the interest of time, let's move on to uh, some shorter catechism questions. And for these first three, I'll read the question, and then you can read the answer. And then there are scripture references for later if you're going through this you know, with your children or um, wanting to look back into what we discussed. So Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 73. Which is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment is, Thou shalt not Question 74. What is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth I like how that question puts others at the end because that ties it back to why we're told uh, not to not to reap the full harvest from the field. Uh, indeed, those are God's fields anyway. Uh, question seventy-five: What is forbidden in the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment So now, now just instead of just telling us what we're supposed to do, uh, we also can't be uh, a hindrance to our neighbor's success. Uh, you know, God's, God's kingdom isn't like a, a zero-sum game. Uh, Christ, one example is that Christ's righteousness exceeds that of our sin, uh, exceeds the, the gravity of our sin and the, the, uh, the evilness of our sin. We sang that in that song earlier, His Mercy is More. Um, so, uh, instead of being like a zero-sum game or like a piece of pie where if I get a little bit more, you get a little bit less because there's only so much pie. Um, God's kingdom has enough wealth for, for everybody. Um, hindering our neighbor in, in the zero-sum game with only a few slices of pie, hindering your neighbor means there might be more pie left for you. But in God's ways, he's, he's just making all the pie. He's got plenty. Uh, so hindering our neighbor actually hinders us. It hinders our ability to worship God rightly. Um, I cannot explain to you economically how there is enough righteousness other than to say that it's a mystery and Christ's righteousness exceeds uh, anything we can fathom. Um, so I'm thankful for that part. I want to, uh, the, the larger catechism questions, they give a lot more detail, but in the interest of time, I would like to skip down. Um, I, I encourage you to look at those larger catechism questions because they do a really good job of defining duties required in the Eighth Commandment. 
and duties forbidden in the Eighth or things, activities forbidden, sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. And reading these will really help you to disabuse yourself of the notion that, well, I didn't steal this week, so I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just a quick taste in question 142. Um, we talked about injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts. These are things forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. Matters of trust, so violating someone's trust. Oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, vexatious lawsuits. Um, engrossing commodities to enhance the price. Unlawful callings. So there's quite a bit included. Um, but to get to kind of the heart of the lesson, I want to spend a few minutes with this question at the bottom. How seriously does God take stealing? And to answer that question, we need to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Remember we talked about Sabbaths earlier. We put a pin in it. And then we're going to take that pin out and examine this. So 2 Chronicles 36, 17 through 21. This is a very sad portion of scripture. It relates back to Jeremiah, so Jeremiah has some very poetic descriptions of this. But we'll start at uh, verse 17, 2 Chronicles 36, Jerusalem captured and burned. There, therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged he gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, all the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and to his sons, until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So what a terrible situation if you survived the initial plunder and you were carried off. And as you're being carried off and you see your dead relatives laying around, you see these foreigners in the house of God, taking the implements that have been in place for hundreds of years uh, by God's decree. So not only do we not have God's people in this passage not have a, a temple to worship him, uh, a king and, a, and an army and a citadel to protect that temple worship and the ways that God has called them to, they've lost their, their unified uh, lifestyle of kingdom and religion working together that's going away um, they can see the temple implements being carted off as, as like uh, plunder which means they can't worship if they don't have those temple implements they don't have the temple they can't worship the way they were told to uh, so this is a disaster and we get the reason the reason for the disaster was to, to oversimplify it sin all kinds of sin idolatry, you name it. But the length of the punishment, we're told at the end uh, of that passage, 
in verse 21, the length of the punishment to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept the Sabbath. It kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So, let's talk about the Hebrew practice of the Sabbath. It was one day in seven. What else do we know about it? Every seven years. One year in seven. Uh, if they had bond servants, they had to free them. Um, so the Sabbath wasn't just, oh, we got to wake up early on Sunday. You know, um, there was this whole pattern of life built around it. And I don't, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to seek out an application where, you know, if you miss a Sunday, you are like going to be in exile for 70 years. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying that their way of living, worship, economy, um, hiring and firing, it all connected back to this one and seven pattern. And they had neglected it for 490 years. And at this point, I, I would, I connect this to the Eighth Commandment um, because it is, it could be considered a type of stealing, not giving God what is his. Um, and the length of their exile was directly connected to the amount of Sabbaths that had been missed. Uh, so the land needed its rest. I mean, maybe there are some practical reasons here that if, like a geologist could say, oh yeah, just look at the nitrates being restored. <laughs> but, but really it's really it's because God is in control and it's his way and not our way. Just like we said in Exodus 20, just like we said in Leviticus 19, just like Jesus told us in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, it's his way and not our way. It's his land. We only use it for a time. Um, even our bodies go back to dust. We don't even keep our bodies. It all truly belongs to him. Um, there's a funny passage where we are but dust was uh, misprinted with two T's in a church bulletin. Uh, and if you read it, it says we are but dust. Uh, so a little bit of levity there. Um, hopefully that will help you remember what we're talking about. That even, even our own bodies, we do, we do not own um, so why shouldn't we glean our fields to the corners? Why shouldn't we maximize every single bit of our lives? Uh, well, the same reason that, fast forward to the New Testament, that expensive perfume, perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. So we can sometimes justify skirting God's rules, even with a righteous reason. Well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can so I can make extra money to give to the church. Well, that might be, in God's view, that might be stealing from something else that He would have us do instead. Um, so, it's all it's all Him. It's all His stuff. It's all His provision to us. Um, if there are any comments on that passage of Chronicles, and especially the Sabbaths, I'd, I'd like to hear and discuss that. <laughs> And then we can sing a final song and go to worship. Once again, I don't want to. I don't want to make. I don't want to sound like I'm making a case for um, some sort of self-righteous level of church attendance that is keeping the Sabbath. Um, 
I'm not making that case, and I want, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to create a new law, because that, that's, that's part of the problem of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes did, is they created their own law. I'm not trying to create a new law. Indeed, we are uh, under God's gracefulness, and even our own confessional standards uh, acknowledge that sometimes we are providentially hindered, um, sickness, work, donkey stuck in a ditch. Um, so I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that I'm like taking attendance every Sunday morning or that that's like this church's position. Hey, Johnny, when you wrote the question, the final question. Oh, well, final question. Uh, what might you have had in mind to answer that question? How yeah. does Jesus Christ keep the Eighth Commandment? Sorry, I got so wrapped up in Chronicles. How does Jesus Christ well, keep the Eighth Commandment? I understand that. Thank you for reminding me. Um, well, uh, Christ keeps the Eighth Commandment by uh, bringing his own righteousness. He doesn't have to take from anyone else. He brings more righteousness. He brings enough righteousness for himself and for all of his people. Uh, we were the ones who were stealing. We were the ones who were breaking God's rules. But Christ uh, not only kept the law to earn his... Not only did he start off righteous because he's God's son, but he kept the law and uh, we get credit. So instead of it being a negative, something that something that has to, is stolen and has to be repaid, it's something that's been earned and is given to us freely. Um, so and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you not only for your written word, which you have given us through your providence, but also for the living word, Jesus Christ, the, the one who kept the law the one who could help us by his miraculous uh, explanation and teaching, teach us how we had broken the law. Please help us to rest on Christ, Christ's righteousness alone, uh, knowing that there is a call for Christians to live by the law, but also knowing that we can't do it uh, and that we need Christ to uh, give us his righteousness. Uh, help us to use your law in a righteous way, to love one another, and to remember that you are the Lord our God and that you have created everything. And help us to remember that it's your way, not our way. Um, even though the law is heavy upon us at times and, and seems impossible, uh, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through the law and that, that your character is the one who keeps the law. And you have invited people like us who break the law to be part of your kingdom. Uh, let us go now with a, a new understanding of, of why we can worship you and why we can trust you. Uh, and why we know that you will provide for all of your people uh, for everything they need. Uh, help us to worship with uh, clean hands and pure hearts not because of ourselves, but because of your son. Uh, we ask that you would uh, open our ears to hear uh, when, when the word is preached and open our hearts to worship as we sing and pray. Uh, and whatever we do, uh, make sure that uh, we give you the glory for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.